Good evening and welcome to the Radical Fabulatorium. I'm your host, John Adamian. All right, I've got a special edition of the Radical Fabulatorium for you tonight. I'm sitting in the, the live booth with a friend of nearly 20 years. Something like that. Pretty close, right? At least anyway. Uh, Cole Fawcett, who is the sales and marketing manager at Castle Mountain Resort. Now he grew up in New Brunswick, started his career in, in skiing and, and management sort of stuff at Poli Mountain, ended up in Newfoundland. But I'll let him do most of the talking in terms of that stuff. So, uh, Cole, welcome to the Radical Fabulatorium. Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah. So, uh, you're back in New Brunswick visiting from Alberta. Yeah. Doing another, this is my second summer in a row of doing a bit of an Atlantic Canadian uh, tour. Mm -hmm. So, I've got my partner, Kelly, with me. And uh, her and I are, uh, yeah, we met the folks last summer. And <laughs> now I guess we're just uh, seeing a little more, taking a little more in than we did last year. Mm -hmm. So 
And that was Kelly's first visit to the Maritimes last year? Yep. That was her first time east of Toronto. So it was uh, a big kick, I think, for her, but Mm -hmm. also for me, too, to share so many places that I'm familiar with and and that I love and and have spent so much time in here in, in the Maritime provinces and in Newfoundland, too. Yeah. And so right away, that makes me think, actually, because Kelly, so Kelly comes from Alberta? Yeah, yeah. So like going from the mountains out east, so everything gets really small. But whereas you went the opposite direction, everything starts out small and gets really large when you head out to the, the Rockies. Yeah. So what was like, I could, I could understand how your appreciation, because I'm from here too, and I've been out to the Rockies, so I can kind of imagine that appreciation. But thinking about it the other way, how does it, how did she react to like coming to the ski hills that are smaller, coming to the bike trails that are like a little more small uh, and intimate maybe? I don't know if that's the right word, but. Well, you know what? I, I it's I don't think it's a case necessarily of like I, I hate to use this terminology, but I don't think it's a case of size mattering. Okay. Really? It's, really? Okay. It's just so vastly different. Okay. In the Atlantic Canadian provinces, like mm-hmm. the when when you really haven't spent an abundance of time in along the coast, especially, mm-hmm. um, it's just such a different feeling so we 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 definitely even today we actually we were out to deer island you ever been to deer island i haven't been okay so it's pretty obscure it's about 700 people that live there yeah and but it's a free ferry which is cool it goes every 30 minutes uh from uh just outside of saint george and i'd never been there either Mm -hmm. but we're we're, i guess the the moral of the story being like we're we're taking every opportunity to to stay close to the coast that we can Mm -hmm. So okay, yeah, because I guess the Rockies don't doesn't mean the coast. So coming out here is a pretty different experience if you've never lived near a coast of either on either side, really. Definitely. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a really different experience and uh, definitely much more humid. Much more humid. Yes. Our, our skin thanks us when mm-hmm. we're here in New Brunswick or or anywhere uh, in close proximity to the coast. It's because the hydration. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just, and I mean, it's been it's we've been. We've been in New Brunswick and and PEI now since we got here about a week ago, uh-huh. and uh, the, aside from the weather kind of being a bit brutal, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been great. And uh, no, no need for lotion. Yeah, it's no need sweet. for lotion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> move to New Brunswick. You don't need lotion. totally. Yes, <laughs> leave your put lotion that behind. on the list. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm still kind of stuck on the thought of it. Size not mattering because I've never been involved in skiing. Really, I, I've biked. Like as a commuting bike, like I had a bike to commute around town, would do really, 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 really basic trails. And my first thought as someone who isn't in that world at all is that size would seem like, I'm like, oh, really? Like, I, I feel like size would matter. Yeah, I guess when when you start thinking about skiing, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a reason why I left the Atlantic provinces. I mean, in my in my quote unquote line of business, which which is skiing, mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity definitely exists in in Western North America. Yeah, in general terms, mm-hmm. right? And if you're Canadian and and you can work in Canada without too many barriers, then then Alberta and British Columbia is kind of where it's at. Okay. If if you're gonna spend any amount of time or try and work your way up through the industry and. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why I moved out west, and, mm-hmm. and it's in part, I suppose, due to the opportunities that exist there, and the skiing is much better. There's no question. Mm-hmm. Uh, snow is dry. Mountains are big. Mm-hmm. Um, 
skiing is part of the culture, mm-hmm. like a lot more so than it is here. Yeah. Um, in in the Maritimes and and in Newfoundland and Labrador. Okay. So so yeah, in that context, size matters. There's okay. no question. But yeah. but I think it's if you're coming here and and you just want to. Like if you're coming here from away mm-hmm. and you've never experienced the coast, it, it just doesn't matter because the ocean feels big too, right? Mm-hmm. Mountains yes. are great okay. and and towering and mm-hmm. awe inspiring and all all this, but mm-hmm. to look out on a clear day somewhere off the the coast to, to the open Atlantic Ocean or sailing across from North Sydney, Nova Scotia to Port of Basque mm-hmm. and Newfoundland, okay. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. the open Atlantic is big too. Okay. Gotcha. That makes that makes a lot more sense hearing you say it like that. Cause and again, now that I'm rethinking it, it's like, yeah, someone who's grown up in a in an area where you're surrounded by bigness coming to somewhere smaller is and that's kind of part of the deal too, right? So it's totally. kind of like size doesn't matter in terms of the experiences you can have, sort of deal. And how the experience is affected or like how positive the experience is. As they say, whoever they is, <laughs> it's what you make of it. It's what you make of it. That's that's pretty cool. I like hearing that. Getting deep. Getting deep. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Right? That was first, right? That's, totally. That's the first. Okay. So, um, I mean, you've been into skiing and outdoor recreation personally and professionally for a long uh, time, almost since we've known it's, each other. It's, it's, 20, it's 20 years. 20 years. So, eight, at the age of 18, I, I became a ski instructor for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I still actually can't think back to exactly why mm-hmm. but i just I, I we we grew up kind of playing house league hockey together right mm-hmm. yeah which i mean neither of us were going to make a career out of that nope um that was pretty evident by our play on the ice mm-hmm. i mean you were a pretty damn good d-man but <laughs> um you know it it still we we weren't gonna we weren't gonna make anything out of that experience but um yeah, I, I grew up skiing recreationally as a kid with my folks. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time um, at Poli Mountain, of course, more than anything. Mm-hmm. But also our fair share of ski trips, March break mm-hmm. trips. Yeah. <laughs> down to uh, Sunday River, Maine and Sugarloaf. And, and I think we ventured into New Hampshire once or twice too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like I, I enjoyed it mm-hmm. and did it. But it, it wasn't actually until my first trip out west, my first my first vacation as a pseudo adult at the age of eighteen. Okay. Uh, that I really got the bug. Gotcha. And that was actually to flying into Vancouver and just taking a bus up to Whistler. Okay. And and then the following year I made it into Alberta, into into Banff and Sunshine Village. Okay. Um, Lake Louise and mm-hmm. and yeah, kind of, I don't know. I just yeah. Is the when you flew into the Rockies like that when you're 18? Is that when it you was that like the biggest mountain you'd been to? Like Whoa, the what the family yeah. trips you took weren't like weren't in that kind of condition? Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm not even familiar with what's like the ski hills would be even. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, like you've been you've been to Poli at some yeah, point. Yeah, I've been to Poli, but I just mean like anywhere else. Like even I know there's good hills in Quebec and stuff yeah. too, but so yeah. like there's um I mean when you think when you think about Whistler Blackcomb, it's um it's funny. I think I did the math once and it was something like 135 or 160 Poli Mountains could fit within the footprint of Whistler Blackcomb. Wow. So that just gives you some sense of how big and vast it is. Mm-hmm. 
And and one of the things that we don't get here in in the East now, let's talk more generally because mm-hmm. we can include Maine, we can include New Hampshire, we can include Quebec. Okay, we don't get to ski or really recreate in any way, shape, or form above tree line. Generally, above tree line. So, okay. what is that? What is above tree line? So it's, I mean, there there comes a certain point at which trees don't grow. Oh, um, okay. So. Because of because of the harshness and the and the lack of uh, lack of soil and and an appropriate climate for trees to to grow and survive and thrive. Okay. And so you call that the alpine, and you'll still get lots of like shrubbery and mosses and stuff like that. But what's really cool about those kinds of environments is they're vast and open, and and you think of these former um these former glaciers that carved out these vast alpine bowls okay um and then you just throw a bunch of snow on top of it and you can literally ski anywhere in them gotcha right so you're not confined to a specific trail Uh and that's that's one of the things that i really found so intriguing interesting fun exciting about going and skiing out west and okay it's just You've got a much bigger canvas. Yeah, that's fascinating. Like I'd never even heard that that before. Like a tree, I've never have thought about what a tree line is, or that's just not in my world. Yeah. So that's super interesting because that gets rid of a huge obstacle to yeah. a skier, right? Like, totally. Yeah. Both mentally and physically, obviously. Yeah. That's very interesting. And then, but I mean, you still, you know, there's lots to worry about when you get into into situations like that, into terrain like that. You're you're now. Uh, introducing things like the a much greater chance of having avalanches mm-hmm. um whiteout conditions mm-hmm. don't do you any favors um when basically the sky and the snow looks almost identical mm-hmm. um no wind breaking probably either right Is it the no trees? definitely not yeah um cliffs right <laughs> so yes okay. it's, it's a different world but mm-hmm. um I, th- I think that's one of the things when you go out go out to to Western North America in general, mm-hmm. as long as you kind of pick one of these ski areas or resorts that offers that kind of experience, you're, it's it's really illuminating the first time you do it, for okay. sure. Yeah. Addicting. It's that, well, I'm, just the whole tree line thing is still fascinating to me. I'm like, yeah, man, all of a sudden, it'd be like on the open water all of a sudden, right? Like there's that feeling a little bit. You're like, whoa, yeah. there's so much freedom up here. Yes, Very totally. interesting. Yeah. So is that, so, okay, so... That would explain why people can get to the top of the mountains and do pretty epic videos and stuff, right? Ski totally. Videos out there. Yeah. So the, normally you would you would helicopter into that. People jump off helicopters. Well, I mean, it depends on where you're at. Like chairlifts, you can get chairlifts into environments like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my opinion really is a, is a, a a really great uh, Western Canadian or Western North American skiing and snowboarding experience is actually going to have infrastructure such lifts basically such that you can ski a wide range of terrain whether mm-hmm. it be above tree line alpine bowls and shoots mm-hmm. um kind of that that below tree line or at tree line kind of traditional ski runs and mm-hmm. gladed or or thinned runs which is like skiing amongst the trees okay like a, a really great variety Mm-hmm. of terrain so yeah you can definitely you can get chairlifts and trams and gondolas above treeline mm-hmm. uh, but certainly out west <clears throat> pardon me there there's a prevalence also of heli ski operators and and cat 
cat skiing. You ever mm-hmm. heard of cat skiing? That's kind of where I was hoping this would lead into. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was you you there's cat skiing at your castle. Yeah. Mountain Resort, right? There is. And that was something that's been expanding the last few years or something? Is that correct? Or? Uh, we just we basically just bought a new cat okay, and, okay. A, and, a, and a cabin. like mm-hmm. So it's just a more comfortable experience. Mm-hmm. So we, we haven't really expanded it necessarily, but it's... Um, yeah, let's explain that to listeners because when I was first reading about it, I literally did think about cat. I'm like, oh, are they talking about bringing your pets? Oh, I get it. People in Alberta probably want to go skiing with their cats. <laughs> <laughs> I, but you're talking about the caterpillar, right? Or is that... Or is it not probably not caterpillar? Yeah, so you're. It's funny. I always like to joke for someone that maybe isn't familiar with it. it it's not skiing with your cat on your back. <laughs> I, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was yeah. like bring your pets. Yeah. So um, <laughs> those those machines you've you've probably heard or seen or or you're at least aware that at, at night generally at a, at a ski hill or a, a ski resort they'll they'll tr- they'll pack the snow down with a snow cat, sometimes called a groomer. Okay. Um, but in, in Western North America and other places too, I mean, not just unique to Canada and the U S, um, you can put a passenger cabin on the back of these snow cats and cool. these tracked vehicles take you up the mountain into mm-hmm. areas where there isn't, you know, permanent or semi-permanent, uh, infrastructure like chairlifts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, generally the thing about cat skiing is it's really, I hate using the word because it sounds kind of hoity-toity exclusive, right? Because a, a snowcat generally is not going to not gonna be able to get more than 10 to 15 people in a cabin okay. that's on the back of a snowcat. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's exclusive, it's expensive. And and yeah, those, those are true. Um, but it's also really awesome because generally you're in this big, plot of terrain possibly sometimes thousands of acres of mm-hmm. of mountains all to yourself mm-hmm. and it's really liberating yeah if skiing above treeline at a ski resort mm-hmm. is illuminating and enlightening then going heli skiing or going into a snowcat and having thousands of acres all to yourself is yeah. mind-blowing yeah it's, to me it sounds like the exclusion there the exclusion part of it is like part of the experience Totally. Like it makes it into a special occasion. Yeah. And, um, you know, of course, there's people that can live that way normally in their everyday life, but more people that cannot. But for just a, a simple price that probably most people can afford, you can get that experience. And even if you only do it once in your life, you're still probably out in this magical place all to yourself with kind of feel like you have your own mountain range to do your yeah, do your thing. For sure. So even if it only happens once for someone. And and it does yeah. for some people, right? Like I've only ever been heli skiing once. Mm-hmm. and And it was... When I was a relatively young man, even though I guess I still am, mm-hmm. we still are really. <laughs> yeah. We haven't hit forty yet, right? <laughs> yeah, so, well, let's see. One, we're, we're probably going to live to like one fifty, so we're not even like middle. Yeah, age. oh yeah, not even a third <laughs> of the way through. But uh, I, I remember going and and kind of like sucking up to get a deal on it, and it was okay. still eight hundred bucks for a day of heli skiing for a day. Uh, this yeah. day and age, now, you know, that's probably. 13, 14 years ago mm-hmm. to, to do a day of heli skiing for less than a thousand bucks would be a miracle. Mm-hmm. Now, is that just one person? Is that you? Yeah. yeah. So, well, you're, you're, you'll get married with a group of, yeah. depending on what the helicopter can hold or the cat can hold. Okay. Um, you'll get married with a group of anywhere from four to, you know, 15 or so. Gotcha. So Cool. 
So yeah, a thousand bucks, but still, still achievable in my, my opinion. It's if achievable. someone wants to do yeah. it, you could, I mean, maybe you have to plan for it for a year or two or whatever, but totally. you could still make it happen. And cat skiing is less. And, okay. Yeah. Like perfect, yeah. You, you can, you can go cat skiing for less than that. Like okay. I think at, at Castle specifically, you know, as our sales manager, I should know these things right off the top of my, my head, but I am kind of in vacation mode. For sure. Yeah. And so I think for what, five ish, 500 ish. You can do a day of cat skiing. Oh yeah, okay. So per person. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. That's Includes not, uh, food, yeah. like meals, breakfast. Yeah, lunch. I mean, if you're someone like me who's gonna not, I don't ski, and it would be like, you know, not not to me, but someone who's been skiing for years, that doesn't seem like a crazy price to me for, no. the, for the experience. No. Yeah. It's 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 attainable, but but like you said, probably not going to do it every weekend. Yeah. But so interesting that combined with just me just learning about being above a tree line, like that's, yeah, that makes skiing seem so epic. Now it makes sense how they can get those epic shots and stuff that I would see very rarely on YouTube videos or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, so I know you were, you were out West. It was last summer, right? I uh, saw last you. September. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you, have you ever been out there and like gone up on a gondola or anything? No, no. We, we drove through the mountains a couple times, three different routes we took, I think. So. I think we've seen the three, we had some epic scenery, but no, yeah. I've never been like out of the vehicle on the mountains type thing. Yeah. Highly recommend, even yeah. not on skis. Just, Just get on a. Yeah. Get on something somewhere. Yeah. Go up. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll make that my mission. Yeah. I need a reason to drive out west again anyway, so. Yeah. Look me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look you. I will make, I will help make that happen right, for sure. Book the gondola a year in advance. Mm -hmm. Book the gondola and that'll force me mm -hmm. to, uh, to go out. Jay, I spent 50 bucks on this, man. Yeah. I need you here next week. <laughs> yeah, I don't care if it costs three grand to rent a car. <laughs> yeah. No flying allowed. You got to drive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, okay, let's take a step back then before. So when you first got into the industry, you started probably as, if I remember correctly, say like you're working at... Ski instructor. Ski instructor. Oh, ski instructor. Yeah. But then Lo also, I guess I was thinking... ski instructor. How yeah. did you get into the retail then? Was that at, that was after the ski instructing? Yeah. So that, that was kind of a funny story. So I... I bought a pair of skis from a new ski shop in Sussex. It was called Outdoor Elements. It still is called Outdoor Elements. Still exists. Has moved. Mm -hmm. uh, one location burned to the ground, and and it was reincarnated by the owner. Still the same owner. And uh, yeah, I I walked in. Well, didn't quite walk in, but I and get a job. But I ended up kind of working with this fellow named John McNair, and and bought a pair of skis and went in to pick them up. And mm -hmm. at that time I was, uh, going to school in Fredericton okay. and, um, you know, he just kind of mentioned like he could, he could use a hand from time to time. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I might've sent him a resume. I probably did. Mm -hmm. I can't remember now, but it, it sounds a lot cooler when you just say walked in, bought a pair of skis, came out with a job too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it, that's not too, too far from the truth. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I started, uh, started working for John and I, ha I was a pr bit of a wizard with my school schedule. Mm -hmm. So I think I only had classes like three days a week. Nice. Um, and if I remember correctly, uh, there was one kind of midweek day that I would drive, <laughs> I'd drive from Fredericton down to Sussex work for the day at outdoor elements mm -hmm. um make as much as i spent in fuel yep which was brilliant mm -hmm. and and you know truck it back to fredericton uh do another day of classes party for a night 
uh, come back to Sussex again. Um, and then for a time I was teaching skiing one day a week and, and then spending like two days a week, as much time as I could away from school mm-hmm. working in the, in the store. Mm-hmm. And it was, I don't know, only twice as big as this room when, yeah. when it got started. Yeah. It was a relatively small shop. Yeah. But it was fun. Yeah. It was a good time. One of those small town. Yeah. Shop independently owned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and John like quickly grew to become, um, I don't know. Like, I, it's funny. I was about to say I, I never had a brother. I, I do have a brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, kind of growing up, I didn't have a little brother until I was 17. Yeah, right? he was kind of so, late to the game. Yeah. So I, I spent most of my childhood without a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and John John was definitely a role model, mm-hmm. no question. Cool. Kind of became like, a, like the older brother that I didn't have. Like kind of a mentor a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was easy. Like I, I could draw the line between, hey, if this guy can do it in mm. Sussex, New Brunswick, and kind of live and work within his passion and in, in his hometown, small town, and looks like he's kind of making a go of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it inspired me in some way, shape, or form to try and do it for myself too. Yeah, that's cool because yeah, I mean Sussex, pretty small town. The market's going to be small forever, basically. Yeah. And if you can make a go at it there as a and and live the life you want to live, which is the ultimate goal, I would imagine anyway. Yep, for sure. And so that store diversified into like bikes and stuff too, right? Which you were involved with. I remember you were rep, you were acting as a represent. This that would be different than the retail job, right? The rep job. Yeah. And the outdoor elements job. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I mean, to your original question, yeah, John, John, and outdoor elements uh, were into bikes too, Um, and I. and I think it might actually even be correct to say that's how we started. Um, okay, cool. You remember Bill's Corner Grocery in Sussex Corner? Was that right at the Y, like the splitting yeah. point? Yeah, I guess I do. Yeah. Yeah. So from from what I understand, he had he had a little bike repair place back there, and that's kind of how we actually got started. And then and then the retail storefront on Broad Street uh, was was kind of maybe a, a slightly more solidified version of okay of his startup so yeah he was definitely into bikes that first it's funny that first summer um so i worked for john that first winter and then he had a guy for the summer mm-hmm. um and so i i i think i still worked like here and there if mm-hmm. maybe john was away on vacation or something like that or trying to get away here or there mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, he had his summer guy and then as the business grew, there was more than enough work for, for everybody. That's awesome. But kind of, yeah, that transition to, uh, to being a sports, uh, sports rep, a ski rep, Mm -hmm. I guess. So yeah, there are people that make, make their living kind of serving as a, as an ambassador or representative for ski brands for a, for a geographic region Mm -hmm. and then kind of representing that brand um, and selling that brand to all the retail stores mm-hmm. in the geographic region. And out here, it's always Atlantic Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all all four maritime provinces. So The representative has to cover that ground. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, my, my job was to, was to represent a whole bunch of brands, but maybe the most notable was Head Skis. And uh, went all across the Maritimes and, and Newfoundland as mm-hmm. well. Never, never made it to Labrador, sadly. Um, doing product demonstration days and 
and product knowledge uh, sessions for staff of these retail establishments. And, and of course, trying to persuade the owners and managers to, you know, carry more of your stuff than brand XYZ. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was fun. That I, I got to know a lot of, a lot of reps, uh, a lot of sales reps for a lot of these brands through working at Outdoor Elements. Yeah. So it's just kind of a bit of a natural stepping stone, but to, to kind of fast forward, I, I quickly found out that I didn't really like driving 50, 60,000 kilometers uh, a year, pedaling yeah. all this stuff. And mm-hmm. and I liked having a home base and kind of spending, I like I like having a home yeah, and not being away from it multiple nights every every week. Living out of a hotel and like travel sale, traveling yeah. salesman, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't for me. Not it for was you. fun. Yeah. When I was like younger and- mm-hmm. We enjoyed a few beverages in the evenings and a little more know. energy. Yeah, a little more <laughs> energy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the way to describe it for sure. Okay. Yeah, but of course, yeah, that would teach. So that's an interesting transit. Like, um, it's an interesting walk through the industry so far, though, right? Started as an instructor. Yeah. You end up in retail, then you end up repping specific companies. So you've kind of learned at, like how to how to how how does it get focused if a brand is focusing on the industry? Like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And then you moved into what would you call it? Like the overall experience of skiing like resort management resort is what management. i'd call it okay. yeah and and also as a i you know i i mentioned really only dealing with retail stores but like a lot of these ski areas have stores at their hills mm-hmm. um you know in their base lodges it may just be smaller trinkets and stuff they might not be selling mm-hmm. you know skis boots bindings or anything like that or jackets or anything but um, nonetheless, I still had a, a few brands that I represented that that uh, that took me to to these smaller locations at at the ski her- ski areas. Okay, and of course, all the rental shops at the ski areas they all need skis, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, um, head had a had, and I believe still does have a great um, rental program. Mm-hmm. And so um, maybe a little bit of foreshadowing. I mean, that's what took me to Newfoundland and took me to Marble. Because of that specifically, yeah. The the rent how so how does that how the working with head like the rental yeah yeah okay the reps took you to well so, so we you know get, getting getting to Marble Marble was a client they mm-hmm. bought head product uh, for their rental fleet and uh, and of course there were some retail stores in Cornerbrook and even in St John's too but uh but that that's how i started to form those relationships gotcha. right okay you know uh, eventually i'm i mean the year the year before i got hired at marble in mm-hmm. cornerbrook i was selling the gentleman that hired me skis gotcha yeah right for the rentals mm-hmm. so. so you're already kind of familiar with corner that resort and everything totally yeah very cool so with moving into cornerbrook was that your first like uh resort management job mm-hmm. uh-huh okay first first yeah first legit one for first sure legit one. Okay. i did actually do uh it's funny at poli for one season i can't even remember what the title was but it was something to do with like social media coordinator okay and i went and did a whole bunch of like videos and stuff this mm-hmm. is like when the original gopro existed yeah. mm-hmm. And you helped me with one, actually. <laughs> As you're talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember doing like. Do you remember that Mary Poli Christmas? Yep. There yeah. was there was two. There was one that was like, I had like had to make some original piece of music for it was like an advertisement video. Okay. And then there was the one where people were singing. To. Uh, uh, song that was all. 
<laughs> it was synced up. Yeah. Uh, let it snow. Let it snow. Yeah, there yeah. it is. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. You know, it's funny because actually when you when you when 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 I worked on that, it was like one of those first jobs where I was kind of like unsure of myself and I was like, oh, I guess I'll just try this out and work on video inside Pro Tools. So for me it was like actually a really great experience with a and it was a low pressure experience. I was so grateful for that. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Because it was it's 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 funny, like I I don't fancy myself. It's I am a marketing manager, right? So mm-hmm. I, I I have to be creative to a certain extent. I don't fancy myself the most creative person in the room, but I remember that, and I'm still stuck on that as like <laughs> a really fun, creative thing. Yeah, uh, that I thought up, but it's it's a great example. It's like I didn't have the skills. It's kind of a great example of like being part of a team this day and age. Mm-hmm. I didn't have all the skills to bring that together myself Mm -hmm. like you helped Mm -hmm. um and like yeah it's just even today if i think about all the things we dream up at castle Mm -hmm. it's like hey we could do this this and this and sometimes we even we go outside of the organization to get people to help us with stuff help out yeah so that kind of team atmosphere yeah yeah it's all it is a good lesson and how learning how like working with teams and just recognizing who you can reach out to when you need like uh an area of expertise or something like that. That was like 2011 or 12, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, because I I just recently moved back from Montreal, so it would have been 20, yeah, 2012 probably. Wow, that's a long time ago. Yeah, I guess so, 11 years. Yeah. Doesn't seem that long. That's what everyone says. <laughs> oh, it doesn't seem that long. Yeah, that was uh, just prior to our 10-year <laughs> Uh, high right. school reunion, and now we have our 20th upon us. That's right. Ugh. If any of our uh, Facebook group friends are listening right now. Yeah. 20 years. Was it August 26th? Yeah, something like that. Ah, sad times. <laughs> Won't be here. <laughs> Is that sarcasm? Yeah, whatever. You can zoom in or whatever, right? You don't yeah. need to be here. You just, yeah. Just film yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So, so at a castle, so then you go, you go from Cornerbrook for, you were there for a few years. Yeah. And then you go out to Castle Mountain. Yeah. And you've been there, is it? Seven. Seven. So nice. 10, I, I kind of like to say like 10 years of kind of having a maybe more legit professional role okay. in, in skiing. But mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, yeah, three, three years at Marble, which was really wonderful. And, and, I, and I still long for Cornerbrook and, mm-hmm. and Western Newfoundland. It just, it it was just hard to envision it being a long-term yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, seven in, in Crow's Nest Pass, Alberta and nice. Castle Mountain. Yeah, very cool. And I, yeah, I was there last September, cool little town. Mm-hmm. And um, what's this, like, so wasn't there some sort of like avalanche in that town? Can we talk about that briefly just to take a huge? Yeah, a little detour. De- detour, yeah. Yeah, the Frank Slide. Frank Slide, yes, yes, where it like bur- the mountain let go and buried yeah. half the town or something. Early 1900s. Yes. Yep. It was so they, Crow's Nest Pass has a, for starters, when I say Crow's Nest Pass, it's, it's an amalgamation of five small communities. Um, they amalgamated in the 70s and, and you don't need to know the names of all of them, but there's five of them, of which Frank is one. Mm-hmm. Hillcrest Mines is another. And it has a, and of course, you can hear it in the name, Hillcrest Mines, mm-hmm. has an extensive uh, mining heritage, mostly metallurgical grade coal mining. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, the 
there's this mountain called Turtle Mountain, and they mined under it for I don't know how long, but um, it was it was regarded as geologically unstable. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, in the early 1900s, I, I I won't pick up my phone to to uh, to know exactly when it was, but early 1900s, uh, it slid in the middle of the night, and it I think killed around 100 people. Wow, it's it's still to this date, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think it's Canada's uh, largest rock slide, but it's the deadliest for sure. Mm-hmm. And to this day, Highway Three, which is one of the major east-west corridors in in Alberta and BC, uh, it passes straight through the the remnants of that slide, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. It stretches for kilometers. Yeah. And yeah, you can tell something happened there, and it looks like like it just looks kind of strange. Yeah. I, I want, so I remember you explaining it to me in the moment. But do you think do people people would notice it as they drive by and like? Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. can't quite remember it visually in my mind because I was getting the uh, yeah. You were able to explain it all in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so very interesting, and and it was in the early 1900s. There was also there was another mine disaster called the Hillcrest mine disaster. Um, which I think also killed, geez, I don't, several dozen, if not more than a hundred individuals. And, and I think it was due to, uh, an explosion underground. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. Coal dust is quite. Yeah. Flammable. Yeah. 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 And it gets up into the air. Yep. It can cause some trouble. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, that's fascinating. So anyone who's driving out there, which I'm sure everyone listening will eventually drive out to Crow's Nest Pass. Definitely. I don't doubt it for one one second. Canada's up-and-coming mountain community. Yes, it's worth the drive. Really, driving across Canada just to see the mountains is worth it, just because the, dri- like, the drive is so such a hilarious drive, and then when you get to the <laughs> mountains, you're like, yes, <laughs> this is the reward. Do you remember how long it took you? Time-wise? Yeah. I was on the road for three weeks. No, I, I kind of took my time. Yeah. But I know with my band, we once went from Vancouver to Halifax in less than four days. Wow. That, that was, so that's probably about as quick as you that's can do ne- it. That's next level. That's crazy. Yeah. We drove like, drove through the night, switching off drivers. Wow. Yeah. We got no, there early. No thanks. Yeah. No thanks. To it, be young again, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were pretty motivated <laughs> at the time. We had a big show to get to in Halifax. I mean, financially it was a, like a ridiculous decision, but um, I mean, it's a good memory now. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So let me, let me, I'm going to pick your brain here a little bit more because I'm curious. So, like, um, one thing I remember when we were growing up is like, usually when you would pick something or whatever you were doing, you would usually go at it pretty hard and also you're really positive. So I can remember being younger thinking, well, you know, I didn't have that in me, but I kind of was like, man, that's pretty cool that someone's usually so jovial and positive. And so when you're working those retail jobs and like the entry level jobs, did you like, did you foresee it? moving in this direct like were you were did you, did you have a uh, target you were aiming for or like do you remember having to like wrestle with yourself in those kind of jobs being like what am i doing is this the right decision or did it seem like you had like a yeah like a plan do you remember i i think i i would say it was more of an evolution mm-hmm. and i couldn't i couldn't sit here and say to you that in 2013 I had a goal of living and playing in the Canadian Rockies and being a manager at a ski resort. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it just like, I just kind of, 
there were some breadcrumbs here and there and uh sometimes i'd follow the breadcrumbs and sometimes i wouldn't mm -hmm. and i don't i don't know it it's certainly it certainly worked out like there was a time where um john and i talked a little bit about uh maybe me coming in as, as a minority partner in mm -hmm. the in the business of outdoor elements and and that really would have i think cemented me as being living in sussex and kind of setting down roots there for several more years mm -hmm. um that didn't happen um and you know i th i think as as I just grew, I just grew to want different things and find out what I wanted and, mm -hmm. and find, find out more about what I didn't want. Like being a ski rep, again, mm -hmm. it was cool. Yeah. Um, awesome to pick up the beer tab at the end of the night, you know, yeah. for, for Good these, feeling. these kids from a ski shop when you're out at the bar or you're at the ski hill or whatever, but mm -hmm. Um, yeah, not enough to want to do it as a career. Yeah. But so that's an important lesson though, right? Learning what you don't want to do. Totally. And if you didn't follow those breadcrumbs or if you turned down certain opportunities, you wouldn't have ever learned that I would imagine. Do you remember when I was big into golf? I, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's kind of a funny one. Every now and again, when I'm like frustrated with what's going on in skiing mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> or like my workload or whatever mm -hmm. um or the fact that i don't ski as much as maybe i should be uh should be doing uh just due to work mm -hmm. i say oh yeah maybe i should have become that golf pro uh -huh. right and take all winter off and go skiing yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i didn't yeah um but it, it is it is really cool to still still work within my passion yeah right despite that's that's maybe the one caution is like when you're immersed within it every day, mm -hmm. um, it can become increasingly more challenging to want to uh, do that thing or immerse yourself within that thing mm -hmm. when you have some downtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you just kind of want to get away with it because yeah. it's kind of blurred into your job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. it is your job. Okay, and, yeah, that's interesting. And that makes me think too, we were talking yesterday, so I can relate to this being kind of in spending a, a lot of my life in creative land and excuse me, trying to make a go of it as a musician and stuff is that um, like in your, your, your role at a ski resort in that industry compared to something like oil and gas, the, the, the remuneration or whatever is can't be, it's not the same, right? Like no. you have to take a cut because you're working in your passion. Same way, like a lot of musicians and, and artists type have to, and I didn't really connect this with artists, right? So I, when I would think artists, I wouldn't really think about like, I don't know if extreme sports or I don't really know the way to label skiing and, and that sort of stuff, but it's very similar where you, you, you have to take a pay cut almost to survive in the industry. And that's just part of the deal. There's kinds of, there's all kinds of perks with the lifestyle too. Totally. But financially, it's kind of like impossible for you to be paid the same as someone like oil and gas is such an yep. easy example in Alberta. Yeah. I mean, running a ski resort in general terms is not anywhere near as lucrative as owning an oil company. Yeah. So the the remuneration kind of it 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 uh, falls in line with that I suppose you could say mm -hmm. and and so you know on the other side you mentioned perks like um, Kelly and I we both work at Castle and mm -hmm. and we generally don't pay to go skiing anywhere yeah because there's a, a really robust um, what we call reciprocal arrangement 
between our resort and other resorts and uh, oh, all across okay, okay. The, the Western Canadian region. Uh-huh. And that's that's actually to the, to the industry's credit, they've they've built that perk up okay. for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Fernie Alpine Resort as an example, I hate to use the F word. Uh, Fernie's kind of a dirty ro- a word. Dirty- <laughs> If you're if you're working at Castle because they're <laughs> they're a rival, okay. Um, but but there I have I've uttered the f word and it's not what you thought it might have been. <laughs> so, but Fernie Alpine Resort is an example. Um, you know their staff come to our resort and mm-hmm. they get to ski two free days anytime in the season, okay, and vice versa. Cool. So, yeah, it's it's yeah, awesome perk. That's a really nice perk. Yeah, yeah. And there's something about being around other folks who are, of course, passionate about a similar thing that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not getting rich, um, and I I, I don't want to put down other professions, but I am immersed, at least in some way, shape, or form, even sitting at my desk in what I love mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. So. And that's a tough feeling to uh, let go of, I imagine. Mm-hmm. I don't think I want to let go of it. Yeah, it's good to know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe, yeah, a little reminder here and there. And then you, you know, I kind of, t- like me thinking, like I walked away from artistic stuff and went, worked an industrial job. And it actually kind of surprised me after a few years, like how I felt about it. Like I didn't really understand that I I needed to come back in this direction so aggressively. Um, but that's just how it goes sometimes. Yep. Yeah. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> but yeah, speaking about perks, like, I'm, yeah, you know, if you get to go to some place where you're more comfortable and stuff, that's worth a lot of money. Like, it's it can potentially to, like be worth tens of thousands of dollars, really. Like, as long as you're getting your needs met financially, like, you've, you're at the basic level of, I don't know, I would say anywhere from, like, 25 to 60 grand. Like, and then, and then if you're living or working something that's, like, passionate and the people you're around give you energy and you're not, like, disgusted by what you're doing, then, like, that's worth tens of thousands of dollars totally. a year, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and even specifically, you know, Kelly and I, we, we took, uh, after our resort closed for the season, kind of middle of April, towards the end of April, mm-hmm. still a handful of ski areas still open mm-hmm. and operating in, in Western North America, Western Canada. More specifically, uh, we went and, what did we ski, four or five days and in, at, at competing resorts that are friendly to us and yep. didn't pay a dime. Yeah. I mean, they didn't give us a free lunch, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> still had to buy lunch yeah still the but and and find a place to stay but yeah um, but yeah that that's literally worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars yeah yeah that's awesome so so do you see anything out in that culture that could be imported into or that you would like let's say you moved back here and you were like in control of the whole ski industry <laughs> is there a thing is there like a philosophy or a mentality or just something high level that they do like th- this past thing you're talking about is that something that happens around here do all the the people working at the hills get to kind of go to the resorts and not really, you know, like a quid pro quo ski, ski here for free. Good question. I I think it happens out here. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty sure of it. You know, the the thing that maybe is um, a little different out here, and and I'm not sure how you bring that out here, but like people who live in British Columbia and Alberta and they're they're not always surrounded by mountains but the, it's they're there mm-hmm. you can't get away from them okay 
and just that that presence of of the mountains just seems to i think bring more people to alpine activities whether it be hiking in the mountains mountain biking skiing mm-hmm. snowboarding uh paris paragliding okay you know all all of those things so um I mean, I I see that as the single biggest difference. Mm-hmm. It's just the geography. Yeah, the landscape. Yeah. So, I don't I don't know how you do that. Now, in saying that, you know, Quebec has a very vibrant ski culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I'm I'm not sure exactly what to attribute that to. Mm-hmm. So they do have that mount. They have a mountain range or whatever. That's yeah, pretty fancy, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's. I mean. Most people probably heard of Mont Tremblant mm. or or Mont Saint Anne near Quebec City, and yeah, I mean, there's some great skiing there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I have these similar thoughts with um, like music and, and venues and stuff. And like when I was in music younger, when I was younger playing music, like even though the place was small, like it was still kind of divided and people, you know, just like not necessarily helping each. Like it was more combative than you think maybe it should be, and you would think the small town vibes of would get rid of that but i almost wonder if it maybe maybe it like exacerbates it mm. that kind of small town vibe yeah so i remember hearing like in certain scenes one thing they would do in the music world is, is similar to what you're talking about the pass the, the ski pass is like if you bought entry into one bar or venue to see a band the the all the bars on the block or whatever i think they did this in seattle in the 90s when like nirvana and stuff was coming around like you could get to go into any of the bar mm. and see any of the bands and like it was a, it was financially maybe like a little bit of a hit, but when you think about the knock-on effects and like it made people spread word, spread word of mouth and stuff, it yeah. ended up paying off, even though they were like giving away something for free. I, I, I th- honestly, I think like the the cult. I th- I feel like the culture's changing, and I and COVID, which was such a pain in the butt, mm-hmm. but. Um, I've said this a few times. I think COVID was uh, was a bit of a values check for a lot of people, if not everybody. Yeah, like what's really important in mm-hmm. life? Your, I agree. Your health, uh, those that are closest to you, like your your immediate family and your your closest friends, and mm-hmm. and um, I think like not just physical well being, mental well being. Mm-hmm. I think it put a, a, a renewed emphasis on the fact that. Uh, you can just go outside mm-hmm. and do stuff. Yeah. We don't need malls. We, I mean, yeah, sure. We need to buy stuff. We need to eat mm-hmm. and we need to clothe ourselves. But like there are, there are so many indoor activities that you just don't need. Mm-hmm. And none of them can replace getting outside mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And experiencing nature. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's funny. I remember, remember being young and and it's it's kind of gone full circle because i've because i've gotten fatter again but like i remember being young and and kind of inactive and not enjoying the outdoors and then kind of university age kind of slimming down and Mm -hmm. being able to do more things Mm -hmm. and go outside and experience more things and climb bigger things and Mm -hmm ride faster and further on a bike or whatever mm-hmm. and just what a new world opened up to me 
you probably used to avoid those kind of activities. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And did you avoid it because you thought you didn't like them or was it because of a, because I was, I was the same way. I was really overweight when I was like a, a young, like a teenager. I've yeah. struggled with it my whole life really. Yeah. But I would try to tell myself like, oh, that sucks. I don't want to do that anyway. But it's like really, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed because I'm 300 pounds. <laughs> I, I think at that age, it was just pure ignorance. Ignorance? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more than anything. But, um, and, and again, I don't like, I really don't know. I can't point to a specific thing or experience that made me want to go outside more mm-hmm. uh, other than just being able to yeah and not being afraid to like take my shirt off at a swimming hole yeah because i had a big belly yeah which i'm kind of back to that again (laughs) it's like ah darn yeah endless struggle yeah yeah that's one of those things you don't know what it feels like unless you've lived through it you know some people like what do you mean you can't take your shirt off (laughs) yeah i mean i can but i just feel silly you know yeah yeah but my goodness if anybody anybody's listening to this and they haven't been to a place like fundy national park yeah oh my gosh yeah Go hike Moosehorn yeah. and Laverty. Mm-hmm. Do the loop. Go for a swim in the swimming hole at Moosehorn River. Yeah, that's your. Just that's the recipe. Do it. I was, that makes me want to say, like, yeah, you've been you love the outdoors and you spend a lot of time out here, and then you're out in Alberta, but now you get to bring back and guide your partner through the process. So you <laughs> must have like this awesome list of things that you should do because you miss the place i would imagine at some level right you have those like you have nostalgic memories but then you also have the expertise to know where kind of the kind of like what's cool yeah so is there a list of like if you if there's five things that someone listening who hasn't really explored you know like is there things that popped your not to put you on the spot but uh yeah put you on the spot you just mentioned one of course or maybe two yeah for sure i mean that that hike um which ironically kelly and i did that last summer awesome when we were here cool we definitely did the the Moosehorn Laverty Loop at, in Fundy National Park. Mm-hmm. Um, other quintessential maritime or southern New Brunswick experiences, Hopewell Rocks. Mm-hmm. We did that. Cool. And Hopewell Rocks is not like exactly super strenuous, mm-hmm. um, but it's really incredible yeah. and amazing. Um, I would also like... I'd I'd put a I think I'd put in there like kayaking at Bennett Lake and Fundy National Park. Okay. It's like everything so far is revolving around the Fundy Coast. But yeah. right. This is I mean, this is where I'm from. Yeah. Um What about Newfoundland though? Like Newfoundland's worth the trek. If oh. if you're coming out east only once in your life, you should probably try to get to Newfoundland, right? Yeah. I mean, and and here's the dilemma, right? Because most people are gonna come come to the Atlantic provinces and, and they're going to have a week or two mm-hmm. and there's no way yeah. you can do Newfoundland justice and the rest of the Maritimes. Mm-hmm. No way, no how. But yeah, um, taking the ferry to and from Newfoundland mm-hmm. is an adventure in its own right. Mm-hmm. It's like way nicer than it ever has been mm-hmm. because there's, <clears throat> you know, like updated ferries and like, nice cabins that you can get while you're on the boat and they no longer run the boat and in high seas like i oh man i could tell you a story or two about taking the boat um but just just doing that in and of itself is is a great way to i think feel small and appreciate the grandeur of of well appreciate the bigness of the atlantic canadian region yeah right like 
Yeah, because I mean, you're on the ocean for like 10 or 12 hours, right? Or how long is it? Depends on which boat you take. <clears throat> you know, the short boat, which runs year round uh, between Port of Bass on the southwest coast of Newfoundland and, and North Sydney on Cape Breton Island yep. is is about seven seven hours. Seven hours. But yeah. if you take the longer seasonal vessel, which takes you to the Avalon Peninsula on the mm-hmm. east coast of the island, okay, uh, that's almost 16. Interesting. Yeah. And does it leave from the Port of Basque as well? It, it leaves from North Sydney. North Sydney. Yeah, and ends up in uh, Argentia mm-hmm. is the place that Argentia? it's called. Okay. Yeah, and it's, man, that is a, that's a long one. That's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> Overnighter. Yeah. And then some. But yeah, taking taking the boat to Newfoundland. I mean, even the drive from, let's say you're leaving from St. John to get to the ferry, the drive into Cape Breton and everything too is quite, that whole, you know, it's a lengthy drive, but, yeah, you know, take your time and enjoy we'd be, it. We'd be seven hours just to get to the ferry terminal. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Seven hours. Then you have to be there two hours in advance. Mm-hmm. Then you're seven hours on the boat. And then still to get to Cornerbrook, which is kind of the heart of Western Newfoundland. Mm-hmm is uh another two and a half hour drive mm-hmm. my math skills aren't great but that's a lot of hours that's a, yeah that's a good journey you know that almost gets you to between ottawa and toronto if you're heading the other way driving yeah, right definitely. <laughs> yeah 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 so um oh yeah take the ferry go to grossmore national park um western brook pond is another really iconic western newfoundland experience Cool. See an iceberg. Yeah. Uh, there's just, yeah. Cool. There's lots to uh, take in out here. Definitely. Awesome. And that's where you're off to next, right? Newfoundland? Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to give everyone your details of, this is your phone number. This is your <laughs> license plate number. Uh, yeah. So you can find me on uh, on the uh, boat to Newfoundland tomorrow night. Yeah. What's the ticket? 15 p.m. Okay. And yeah. your cabin number? Cabin number. <laughs> So funny story. <laughs> we, oh. we were waitlisted for a cabin. Okay. They're very, like we we booked this in February and we were on the waitlist. Oh wow! So okay, so book early. Yeah, book early. And uh, just this morning, got an email that said you're no longer on the waitlist. You have a cabin. When did you get the notice? Sorry. This just morning. Now? Wow. This. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you leave tomorrow. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's like a total. That's uh, like, a, is it someone's birthday or what? <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, that's you awesome. You would think, but yeah, the the cabin is a is a great addition because it's kind of like, you know, it's like having a lie flat suite on an aircraft. Okay, not that I've ever had one of those because I definitely am not that in that income threshold, mm-hmm. nor am I that good with my uh, my air miles that I have amassed that many. Uh, to do that, but it's kind of like having a lie flat suite. Well, it's 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 more akin to having a cabin on a cruise ship. Okay, not that I've even done that. Yeah. But what about uh, a train? Have you been on the a private room on a train? No. Okay, but I can imagine. Pro- that, yeah, I've been in like a private sleeping bunk. It was a game changer. Yeah, it was expensive, but it was worth it. So, um, so yeah, there's that, and and then otherwise, you're you're basically just kind of sitting in the equivalent of, of like a like in airplane seat mm-hmm. um for the overnight and that's not quite as comfortable not as conducive to a good night's sleep there's even a shower in the thing in the morning oh nice so yeah yeah you can kind of yeah that's nice yep cool that's awesome well would you believe that it's been an hour no can you believe that dear listeners 
should probably uh, should probably play some music or talk yeah. about some music, hey? I mean, I I would think our voices are music to oh. the listeners' ears. Oh, I can't. I'd imagine Kelly in the next room is dancing along to our sweet, sweet rhythms. Right, yep. Yeah, definitely, because she doesn't hear me talk like 24-7. <laughs> Never. Yeah. You don't talk. No. Yeah. Cool. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, man. Thanks a lot for coming in. Yeah. So, yeah, let's throw to, let's throw to a tune. Um, let me see here. I'll, uh, was, does the song come to mind? So I was telling, telling you earlier that you were the guy who got me into Mumford and Sons, mm-hmm. which, uh, so I, I really, that album specifically, Babel, that's one of those albums that, um, I almost, it doesn't matter who wrote it almost. Like it's such a fantastic album that it's like, even cause I don't really listen to a ton of Mumford and Sons besides that. But so even someone who doesn't like Mumford and Sons, I, I feel like should investigate that album just because it's kind of like a masterpiece, which I wouldn't have realized unless you had it going in your your vehicle at the time. So uh, because of ego reasons, th- this is going to throw you for a loop. But uh, you've probably heard of a fellow named Stomp and Tom. I Yes, I have. Yeah. Uh, can you pull any of his stuff up? I can. I definitely can. I'm typing it in now. So we we talked about the Frank Slide, yeah. And Kelly this morning introduced me to a song from Stomp and Tom, that is uh, how the mountain came down. Okay, and it's all about the Frank Slide. No way. That's, and the crow's nest bounce. All right, how the mountain. That's a that seems very applicable. Oh yeah, I see it here. Yeah, I'll toss that on. So that's about the Frank Slide. Yep. And that's out in Alberta, Crow's Nest Pass. You got it. And when all the listeners, every single one of them, are, when they're out there, <laughs> they're going to look up Castle Mountain Resort. Sure. Hit up the cat. If, if, it, if it's the winter time, absolutely. Yeah. Come skiing. Come skiing. Yeah. Start tucking away a few bucks for the cat investment. Yes. It is an investment, right? It is an investment. It is an investment. All right. Thanks a lot for coming by, Cole. This is super fun. My pleasure. Next time you're around. Thanks for having me. Anytime. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and kind listeners, I'm going to go ahead and throw on some Stomp and Tom Connors, How the Mountain Came Down. If you're curious to learn more about the story behind the song, I'm sure you can use your fingers and thumbs. Uh, Google search is dead. I recommend you install Microsoft Edge and use uh, Bing Chat GPT. Long live. <laughs>